Welcome to Brand Slam, the Winning Brands Podcast, Episode 2, Baller Brands with Devin McCourty. Here are your hosts, Steve Rosa and Joe Kayata. Hello and welcome to the Brand Slam Podcast. He is Adventures founder and CEO, Steve Rosa, and I'm Joe Kayata. Steve, we finally made it to episode two. We're here. Awesome. Absolutely. I'm so thrilled. It's been a lot of fun so far and the fun keeps getting even better. I'm excited about today. Oh, today's going to be a good day. We have a very special guest joining us today. Someone that I covered his entire career as a New England Patriot. He was a class act and guess what? He was one of my favorite players to cover. You want to know why? Why? Because he actually answered my questions that I asked. Nice. Didn't happen very often there. Steve, that's, who do we got today? That's real. We have three-time Super Bowl champion, 13-year NFL professional, uh, amazing talent, Devin McCourty. Um, he, you know, I'm a huge fan. I'm trying not to sound like a fanboy <laughs> here, but uh, just an incredible guy, incredible leader. And he's everything you want a, a brand to be. He's he's smart. He's authentic, hardworking. And um, we're going to pick his brain a little bit and see how we can all get better together. Dev, thanks for joining the show. We appreciate it. Man, I appreciate that, Steve. And that's what I used to tell all the brands when I was playing. Like, man, hire me. I'll do your marketing. I'm, I'm everything a brand needs. Some listen, most didn't, but it's all good. <laughs> Steve would hire you. He'd pitch you. I was, I was just saying, you got a much better agent than Joe. You're the guy I wanted to hire, Devin. I ended up with him. Yep. I don't know, man. He's a. Anyway, but no, I'm glad for uh, all your success. One thing I ask friends uh, that were professional athletes, the first thing I always ask them is, how are you feeling? NFL, you know, everyone jokes, it's, you know, stands for not for long. You made it 13 years. How are you feeling? And do you miss the bumps and bruises? Yeah, man, I think that's a, a great question because. We all believe that when we're playing, it, it does stand for not for long because no one has any idea when it's going to be over. And I remember somebody once told me the NFL is like that window in your living room, the air's blowing in, and that window's always closing. For some people, slams shut right away. For other people, it's just like that slow movement. Um, but no, I feel great. I think, you know, being able to do what I was able to do for 13 years brought a lot of joy, a lot of memories, but it also came, like you said, with bumps and bruises. So, uh, I show, I was just uh, actually in Massachusetts at a youth detention center, the Kennedy School, and they were asking me about like how you feel, and I was showing them. I was like, yeah, this arm goes all the way up here, but this arm <laughs> stops right here. So, but that's about it. You know, that's the, as much as the pain. I feel great uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and the only thing I miss about the game is the locker room, being in a locker room with the guys, uh, watching the game Sunday. Ezekiel Elliott had one run where like he could have went out of bounds and maybe stiff arm. And he turned back in and he saw the defensive back and he dropped his shoulder. And I was like, yeah, my body doesn't want to do that anymore. So uh, I, I'm having a lot of fun watching. Dev, this show is all about uh, branding and marketing. And I think as a player, you were known as a well-respected leader, captain of that Patriots defense for all of those years, including the voice of that locker room. How has your brand changed since you got out of the NFL? And now you have a whole new brand, maybe, as you know, NBC Sports commentator. How has things changed for you brand-wise? Yeah, I think what I do has changed. But I think the, the cool thing is before we got on air, what Steve said, it was just me being me. I think my brand is built around me just being authentic, you know, not trying to create, you know, some kind of image of this is what my life is like. I'm just living life. I'm just having fun. So um, but now it's not the NFL player who's at home with a family 
uh, with wife and kids and, you know, doing work in sickle cell and social justice. It's just who I am is now a, a sports broadcaster who works for NBC, works for Westwood One, but also does other different events of maybe talking to young kids or being on a panel discussion uh, for a different company. So it's doing different things like that. But I think at the end of it, everyone always walks away with the same thing when they see uh, me do an event is, wow, that guy seems like he's just like us. He's an everyday guy. Uh, and I think when you break it down, that that's who I am at my core. I just was blessed enough to, to be able to play 13 years in the NFL. And I was blessed to be a fan in the stands for uh, all those 13 years. I got to travel with the team to different Super Bowls where I saw you there with your family and extended family. And you are the real deal. And, and it always hit me as when we're looking at uh, you as a guest for the show is we want, we always tell brand leaders that a great brand is being who you are, you know, who you say you are. A brand is a promise and you are accessible and open. And uh, I'm curious, since you're an authentic brand, what are some of the brands that you're loyal to either as an athlete or in the um, McCordy household? Yeah, I think obviously one of the biggest brands is Nike for me growing up as a kid. Uh, I think one of the things they were able to do was uh, I was just watching something uh, before and they were talked about the Michael Jordan commercial, right? We uh, we want to be like, like, and I think starting from there, when I was a kid, I always wanted Jordan sneakers. So um, I grew up always kind of dreaming or wh whatever you want to name it um, of having Jordans and having other Nikes. Uh, and I think the thing that they did great was I fell in love in my heart first with the brand, with the sneakers. Um, and then everything else came after that. Then as I was an athlete and I was playing the comfortability, do I like the performance that I get um, with these shoes? All right, do I like the fit of these shorts and t-shirts that I wear? But I think that came in second. And because they were able to attack my heart as a kid, I've always loved the brand. And then as I got older, um, I started to really enjoy the different, you know, performance perks that I got as a player. Um, and then I think another one is Apple. And uh, I think because they're able to hit so many different things, um, I'm reading a book, I'm forgetting the name, but I think it's the reason why or the why or something. And they talk about different brands, whether it's airlines, um, Apple, Microsoft, just all these different brands. And they talk about the key to the brand is just knowing why you exist, not trying to answer a question, not trying to provide something for um, an individual, but actually having a reason why you do what you do. And I think for Apple, it they have created where we have something for everything that you do naturally every day in life. Um, and that's what I like about that brand. But it's been cool as I've gotten older and retired now to actually look at brands and look at different things. Uh, now that you just start to do different things, you have more time on your hands. Um, and it's not just all dedicated to football. So that's been fun um, learning more about brands. Dad, we all know the Patriots are one of the biggest brands, I think, in all of sports. But we also know how Bill Belichick runs the team, tight-lipped, the ship the way he wants it to go. As a player, how hard is it for you to build your brand knowing that you have to say the right things and go in the right direction of what he wants? Yeah, I, I think as a young guy, I had to figure out like what are what are the do's and don'ts like what are the things you get involved in what are the things you stay away but then as i got older i, I kind of realized that a lot of the don'ts had to do with not disrespecting the team not having one individual deciding 
hey, this is what's best for me and not caring about if it's what's best for the team. And once I kind of, once I got older and understood, hey, I can do things that benefit me as long as it doesn't hurt the team. I always need to think about that first. I can't only think about, you know, the benefits that Devin McCourty gets when I do these things. I have to think about, hey, this might benefit Devin McCourty one way or a lot of times throughout my career, the McCourty twins. But how does this impact the New England Patriots? How does it impact my teammates, my coaching staff, ownership? Um, and I think once I got older, I learned that's not just with the New England Patriots and Coach Belichick. That's with anything in life. If you don't own, and even if you do own your own thing, you have to think about the people you employ. Or you have to think about your employer. Like that never changes. So uh, as I got older, I learned that I could have fun. I could do media, answer questions, crack jokes. That because that to me was people walked away and said, "Hey, that's who Devin McCourty is. That's not who the New England Patriots might be, or this guy, that guy. That's just Devin McCourty." who didn't say anything to disrespect his teammates or the brand, but he's having a good time when he does in media. And I think that's why, you know, everybody says that, you know, you, you're doing okay in media. Like, how does it feel? Because I did all those other things. I watched guys like you, Joe, and how you came prepared every day. And I, I said, you know what? When I'm done, I want to I want to try to replicate that and do the same thing. Yeah, and a quick follow-up to that is that you were one of the guys, I think there's a short list in my 22-year career, 18 covering the Patriots, of guys that I knew if I went to, you, Slater, guys that I knew would, would answer the question when I asked the question. Um, and I know a lot of guys, like there's the company line. So how hard was that to be authentic to you, but also be authentic to Bill and what he wants? Yeah, I think it was always knowing what questions you could answer. And I think that's what I enjoyed about most of the media in New England. Like people wouldn't come up to me and ask me about a guy being hurt knowing that I'm not going to answer the question. I remember when I was younger um, doing an EEI uh, interview, and I don't even remember who the host was. And they were asking me all these questions that they kind of knew I couldn't answer. And I remember uh, one, of my, one of my favorite people in New England is our, one of our PR guys, Aaron Salkin. And Aaron came to me, he was like, I hate when they do that. They know you can't answer the question. This is an in-house thing. Like, and <laughs> I love Aaron, you know, by I the way. I love sitting, Aaron. Yeah, Aaron's He's so the best. passionate. He's passionate about yep. everything. Um, but I think that's why I was able to do those different things. When people ask me questions that I knew I couldn't answer, I cracked a joke. I said something funny. You know, when Tom got hurt in 2017, he hurt his thumb, and I went to the podium, and obviously I knew every question was to be, all right, well, we know we can't ask you about his exact injury, but we're going to say, how'd the team look? What was your thoughts when he went in? Like, what, what happened? And I just talked about, you know, what did he look like when he came in today? So I said, you know what? I'm going to pick one question, and I'm going to have fun with this. And I talked about how gorgeous he is, how his face looked. He always looks great. And it was a way to walk away, and everybody knew, like, hey, he deflected, and we knew he would. But it was also like, hey, we can write this story about a guy cracking jokes, and the team seems still upbeat even though at the time the team was pretty worried <laughs> uh, going into that game. But to me, it was always that kind of happy medium of, yes, you know, we don't always feel like doing the media, but they all have a job. We have a job. Let's have fun doing it. I think you earned that trust with Bill uh, to, to go, um, you know, free form on a microphone because you are authentic. So I think authenticity um, gives you, you know, certain freedoms and, and powers. What, I would like uh, to know from you as a dad of twins, 17 year old twins, I would be absolutely thrilled if they had their own 
joint brand someday and got along well enough to to be you know uh, to do things together whether it's for charity or business or anything else now that your playing careers are over and you're launching this new thing do you feel extra pressure to separate um you know uh the, the you know one twin working for you know the nfl network another twin working for nbc like how where where is the mccordy twin brand going does it have to split or will it I would hate to see it break apart. Yeah, Steve, you must be talking about social media. They split us up on social media. <laughs> yeah. They got it done. Um, but no, I think for us, our brand, we feel like it's even stronger now because now we don't have to have our brand on one network and have to focus on that. Whenever I'm on NBC or he's on NFL Network, my first ever appearance on NBC at my desk, the first person I talked about was being at the Hall of Fame game. And I watched my brother at the Hall of Fame game and he didn't get in until the fourth quarter. And I think whenever people watch us, they always hear the other person. So we always think about that's brand building. You know, the audience on NBC might not watch Good Morning Football uh, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. That, that slight little plug for my brother. Um, but if they watch me and they hear me reference, you know, my twin or this or that, or, you know, when he's calling the game at CBS, they're like, oh, wow, he has a twin type it in on Google. So we're, we're always looking for things to do. We've called some games on the radio together. We're going to call um, the Black Friday game with the New York Jets uh, together in a three-man booth with Westwood One. And we'll always continue to do different things, especially our charity work. Um, but yes, our ultimate goal is someday down the line of being on TV or, or building content, but building that content together. Uh, and we're looking forward. But we love right now that we're building our brands together, but also separately uh, in this new kind of uh, world. No bigger individual brand than Tom Brady, a guy that you spent a ton of time with in the locker room. TB12 is one of the biggest brands, and Tom really cared about his image, I felt like. From covering him, he cared about what others thought of him, saw of him, the deflate gate, the spy gate, all the different gates. Um, for you, what did you learn from Tom Brady on how he built his brand and what it is today? Yeah, one of the biggest things I think I think sometimes for, I think not even just other athletes, but a lot of other people, they look at Brady and they're like, man, he's so lucky. He has this and that. But for me, being a chance to be his teammate and friend, I understood how kind of frustrating that could be at times. Like we asked him, you know, like in your house, you know, you and, you know, now former wife, but you and Giselle, you're in a house together. You guys run out of toilet paper. Who goes to the grocery store? And he was like, babe, we don't run out of toilet paper. And just that thought of how many times, you know, right in Foxborough, I went to the local stopping shop. He never gets to do that. So when you think about building your brand for him, it's an every day, every minute, every second of the day that you're always kind of on. You're always trying to live up to that brand that you've established and, and the things that you do. Um, and I learned that. I learned that it's meticulous. You have to always think about that. And for me, I, I, I feel very fortunate that I don't have to be on as much as him. I can go to parties, I can go with friends, be out and people won't recognize me, I can have a good time. But for him, that's always hard to be able to have that good time, but also always think about your brand. Um, but it, it's a reminder, I think from me being around him, I always know I'm one mistake or one kind of mishap away from that whole brand being blown up uh, and not being able to be as useful as it, as it once was. So uh, real credit to him for always being an open book 
uh, for all the guys that were in the locker room and his friends. Great point. And just a follow up to the whole TB12 thing. Uh, we all know he was a fierce competitor on the field and in the locker room. Do you have one moment or memory of Tom that stands out from going up and practice for him for years of him being a fierce competitor? Anything that stands out to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll give two quick stories. When we played, um, I want to say it was, I don't remember if it was Baltimore or Jacksonville. It was one of the playoff years, and he threw an interception on a Friday. So Friday is the red zone day where we're in the red, red zone offense, defense, working on our plays and the plan for the week. And he threw an interception to Rashawn Melvin in practice. Uh, he was trying to hit a skinny post in there, and, and Melv was able to jump it. And he came back in the next day, and he and uh, Melv's locker was right by mine. And he goes, man, Rashawn, because of you, I had to watch 110 clips last night of that area in the red zone to see if I'm going to be able to throw that pass in or if you just made a great play in practice. And I remember sitting there like, come on, guy. Like, And you know that wasn't the only film. He watched that just for that one play, hundred and over 100 clips for one wow. play to see if that play would work. Then in 2016 – we, we lost a Sunday night game to the Seahawks uh, at home. I think we were on like the one or two yard line and we, uh, we don't hit a throw to Gronk in the back of the end zone. Probably could have been passing interference, but we won't, we won't dive into that. Um, but the next week we have to now make the cross country trip to San Francisco and it's a huge game. We're going to San Fran and we go out there and we beat San Fran pretty good. Uh, big game. Malcolm Mitchell, I think, had like a touchdown or two. Like the game, the team was rolling. So we come back and we're lucky enough, we get the Delta, the big uh, airplane. We got beds in the front. So now everybody's on the plane. We're standing up, we're laughing, we're joking because we got this long flight. You know what everybody talks about. You don't want to lose on those long flights back home. So we win and we're having a good time. And you look over and Martellus Bennett keeps like getting on Tom. And Tom's over there on his on his laptop watching film, but also massaging his thigh because he had got like a thigh bruise. So he's like massaging his thigh, moving it for like 20 minutes, doing that. Then he pulls his sleeve back up on his leg, his compression sleeve. Then he just sits back and he has the film as like mayhem is going on around him. Like we're all laughing, joking, having a good time. And he was kind of like that dad surrounded by all his wild kids, but he was locked in on the task. Um, And it was just like, I think for all of us, even the young guys, old guys, it was like, man, like, all right, we can have a good time, but we know what our best player and our leader, what he's thinking about. He's not thinking about this game. He's thinking about we need to be in a Super Bowl this year. We need to win a Super Bowl. And I've always loved that about him because that that was always what he was thinking about. And I got to learn that firsthand uh, for the years sitting in the captain's meetings with him. I don't think you get enough credit, but you were the Tom Brady of the defense. You were responsible for the calls and communicating and leading by example, and you did a phenomenal job at that. Um, brand Slam, it's the, you know, the we call it the Winning Brands podcast, and a winning brand is is starts with a winning brand culture, right? A team culture, team building. Uh, so many teams that you guys have beat in the Super Bowl never went back to the Super Bowl. There are a lot of one and duns make it to the Super Bowl. Your magic is a three-time Super Bowl winner. Like, how did you keep everybody in the boat and motivated uh, and not let success take you uh, away from, you know, more success? Uh, I got the opportunity. I read a book, Culture Code. Uh, one of our trainers, uh, Joe Van Allen, he had left and he sent it to me. He was like, this is a great read. 
And one of the opening lines or one of the lines that stuck out to me first was culture has nothing to do with an establishment, a logo, an organization. Culture is people. And I think that's what was so great about New England. Like I always hear people talk about the logos in the NFL and, and what it looks like and what it means to them, what comes in their mind. And we always we all have those thoughts. But I, I'm always reminded that, you know, from being involved in it, the logo doesn't build that culture. The people build the culture. So when I look at the Patriots, it was always Kraft and, and Coach Belichick. And they understood the right people to keep in, in the organization, how you make things work. And I think that allowed us year in and year out to come and compete, to have a chance to win a Super Bowl. When we would lose in the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl, I would always remember Bill would come in and he would he would say to us, I know this stinks right now. It feels like you just got in a, a car wreck. And it's brutal, but just know when we come back next year, it's going to be even harder to just get back to this spot where we lost. We're not even happy about where we finished this season, but it's going to be harder to just get back here, let alone try to go further and win the whole thing. And I always thought that was great because it was it was the way each player left, knowing that no matter how bad you feel or what you think, that you're going to pour into it and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It was a reminder of, just to get back to that losing position, that terrible pit you have inside your stomach, it's going to be harder than you even think because you thought this year was hard. Uh, and I think that's what built that culture year in and year out. And in the years where we did win it, it was the worst offseason ever. Bill Bill made it a living <laughs> hell every day, offseason, uh, springtime, OTAs, then training camp. Uh, and it never let you have that kind of that place of complacency um, because he continued to push you. Uh, and, and then obviously it doesn't hurt having uh, number 12 on your team, the greatest of all time. That always will help, you know, get to the winning, get you back on the winning path. Yeah, we always talk about uh, around here is putting people in the places to succeed. You are a first round draft pick as a cornerback and then you changed. How, you know, how, how excited were you when you got that opportunity and then you embraced it and then you turned into an all pro safety. So can you talk about change and how change is good sometimes to be in the right spot and Bill figured it out and got you there? Yeah, making the switch to safety. I mean, at first I didn't want to make that switch. And I think sometimes those are the things that happen to us, whether in life or in our, in our business standpoint, our jobs of sometimes changes happen, switches happen, and you don't know, but it's going to be the best thing for you. And that's ultimately what it turned into. Um, at the time, I was only thinking about the business side of it, of being a corner and moving to safety. I was going to make less money. I wasn't going to get to make all the big money in a second contract. Um, but little did I know the safety market would jump and all those other things. So I uh, ended up really being a blessing. You said it, you know, business, right? NFL's a business. Entertainment's a business. You're straddling both worlds in incredibly well. There's been a convergence with sports, uh, you know, and entertainment that's been happening for decades now, and it's it's fully here. Um, it, it's always good for a business to expand its audience. We help our client partners go multicultural, uh, be multi-generational, even go multinational. And the NFL has done all those things extremely well. They got an incredible gift with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift becoming an item. Uh, they've, to their credit, they've embraced it. Even the NFL, uh, ex, uh, tw formerly Twitter feed, uh, was Taylor's version of the NFL. Um, 
you know, tell me, what do you think? Uh, you know, is this, is this going to last? Does this relationship have legs here? Are you, are you rooting for, uh, for Travis or I'm, I'm team Taylor. I just want her to be happy. <laughs> I am. I, if, if I had to pick a side, I'm definitely team Travis. Um, obviously competing against him through the years, but I've gotten to know him a little bit off the field and ran into him when he was in New York doing Saturday night live. So, um, yeah, man, I'm all for love. Married seven years now, so hopefully for them. And I think the best thing is it's forced me to Google. I'm learning more Taylor Swift titles. Um, I even got to break out, shake it off. Um, <laughs> last weekend on the air, I talked about um, Patrick Mahomes getting hurt, ankle getting rolled up, but he was able to shake it off, get back out there. And then, you know, Chris Sims took it from there, he pulled out bad blood um and, and all of those things so i think everybody around football and i know some people are like oh i don't want to hear about it a lot of other people are like man let's roll out as many taylor swift things as we can when we do highlights and all those things so i think it's pretty cool to see different kind of social media contents and people are like hey so taylor's dating this guy his name's travis and i guess he's pretty good at football like i think that's hilarious because that's how my wife tells me about players through their wives or through their significant others. So it's cool to see that. Uh, I've got uh, two teenage daughters. Uh, well, one's not a teenager anymore. I'm old. Uh, but they they turned me into a Swifty, right? Um, I would bring them to you concerts. Bill. You <laughs> Bill, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'd bring me to concerts. And I, I think it's absolutely fascinating, right? Gillette Stadium has no problem selling out for, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, for a Taylor Swift concert. And I guarantee you, if when the next time the Chiefs come to town, I think November or December, they could literally fill the stadium with teenage girls that know nothing about football, but do now because of this relationship. So, you know, embrace it. It's a, it's a gift. Um, you know, I hope, uh, you know, uh, you know, Travis, uh, he put himself out there. He took a chance in a very public fashion. He he better not mess better up. Better not mess That song, he's going to have a song about him. That's the problem. He's going to have a song. Nobody wants to be an ex of Taylor Swift. You have, <laughs> you have a song about you. Dev, his uh, jersey sales up 400%. So obviously, this is a boost for the NFL, for him, for their team, for their brand, for his brand. What are your thoughts on, from a branding perspective, of what the Taylor effect has on the NFL, which is also a multi-billion dollar business as it is? Yeah, and the NFL is all about growing the game, you know, right? There's going to be, I believe, three games in London this year. There's two games in Germany, um, and I'm excited about the games in Germany because my brother's actually going to call the games in Germany. So that's what the NFL is all about. So you just said it. When you have Taylor Swift at your game, they showed her. I was, we were watching the game in the studio. Every time the Chiefs scored, you saw the camera pan to the suite, like every time. And it was awesome because, Steve, you just said it. Kansas City plays at Gillette, and everybody knows Taylor is super popular at Gillette, always sells out Gillette. I believe she has a house in Rhode Island. A lot of people are going to try to buy tickets and just hope that she's going to be there and maybe in Mr. Kraft's suite or in somebody's suite so that they can keep panning to her on the Jumbotron and see her over and over again. And that does nothing but help the game. How many people are going to watch that game? And I believe it might be a Monday night game or something. So it would be a huge primetime game and if t swift is there i mean everybody be staying up to all kinds of nights all around the world trying to watch it dev you guys are also big in social justice sickle cell 
um, a lot of stuff off the field. And I know we've talked about this personally over the years, how important it is for you to use your face and to use your name for the important causes in your life. How important is that for you to get that message out there? Oh, so important. And, you know, I think it's, it's one of the reasons I love doing the, the sports media and TV stuff because it allows me to still have a big enough platform uh, to do all of these different things. So um, we're going to have our casino night this year at Gillette Stadium, part of a, a bunch of different things that go on in the Massachusetts, New England area. I joined a new Commonwealth Fund uh, that's raising money, trying to raise $100 million um, to end systemic racism. I'm still a part of Boston Uncornered really on corner now because they're in Boston and in Kansas City. I'm on an advisory board there that takes uh, young people in gangs or formerly incarcerated and it says, hey, we want to give you a stipend and send you to school and you go to college. Um, and then obviously still on the board at Boston Medical Center. So um, I'm all about doing good things in the world. And however that kind of comes to fruition, uh, I love being a part of it. I love being a part of change and impacting other people's lives. Um, was able to do that for a long time through sports. Um, but I think also being able to directly be in people's lives and helping with different things uh, is something I'm passionate about. And I've really, really enjoyed doing it uh, and looking forward to seeing how I can continue to do that uh, even as a retired player. I've only got one really crucial, important question. This is the hard one, right? This is the one that's going to go viral, I hope. <laughs> All right. Here's the take. I need to take any embarrassing Joe Kayata locker room moments? Did he, did he Mac Jones you or anything? I mean, like, what is there, is there any, we'll, we'll pay good money for that footage. Uh, if you have anything on Joe Kayata that we can use here. I don't think so. I don't think so. Nope. You got know. nothing. You I, got nothing, Dev. And I was always not like I was always nice to Joe. Joe was always nice. He wasn't one of the guys. There were some guys I would get on them pretty hard, like Girardi and um and Curran. I would get on those guys pretty hard. They kind of act like they would they would walk in late. Like if I go to the presser and you walk in late, I'm gonna get on you. Joe was always usually once we started going in that media room, he was on the right side at the little desk. Yeah. He'd be over there and locked in, ready to go. So I can't student of the game, a true, true professional. Um, so I'm sorry. I don't have any of those stories. Dev, I'll, I'll send you that memo later. I appreciate those kind words. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I figured he was one of the good guys because uh, Stacey James regularly went to him at the pressers uh, at the start. So that's, how, um, that's really how you know you're a good guy. Stacey goes to you. All right, well, guess what, Steve? And what is it, Joe? It's that time, the end of the show. That's episode two of the Brand Slam podcast, Baller Brands with Devin McCourty. Dev, thank you so much for joining the show. We really appreciate it. No, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Love that. Uh, I wish I could have been episode one, but I'll take episode two. I'm a twin. I'm all about one and two. <laughs> there you go. For more information on the show, you can visit adventures.com. That's with two Ds. Or email the show at brandslam at adventures.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Brand Slam is brought to you by the Adventures Ad Love Charitable Giving Program. This episode's recipient is Tackle Sickle Cell from the McCordy Twins. To add your contribution to ours, visit adventures.com with two Ds. Thanks for listening.